0: You will turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read verses 42 through 47 to begin <clears throat> our time together this morning. Know uh, in advance, this again is just a, a brief uh, topical series. It's going to last three weeks. We did one last week, one this week, and one next week. Uh, so the passage that we're looking at this morning will not be something that we're going to be spending a lot of time on this morning, but it's sort of a jumping off for, to think about. So I'll be going all over the place scripturally today, just Keep up if you can, all right? Uh, but otherwise, uh, after next week, we'll, we'll get into our study of Second Corinthians. And after that, um, toward the latter part of the year, um, in order to prepare us for Revelation for Mr. Schwurb's and some others who've been asking for it, um, we're going to study the book of Daniel. Because I just don't think we're ever going to get to what Revelation is actually saying without having a better grasp of what the Old Testament says about it. So prepare for that, so we will be... Looking at the Scripture and spending much, much time having your Bibles open during that time. But this week, know that you can shut your Bible afterwards. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. But I promise you, it will be filled with God's Word. So with that being said, won't you uh, look at the the text in front of you. Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 42. And they, that is the Christians in Jerusalem, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking bread and the prayers... And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would give us a, a taste of this type of fellowship even this morning. We know that uh, it is possible, uh, this side of heaven. We know that uh, sin so easily trips us up uh, in our own personal walk with you. We know that uh, division Happens easily. We know that the devil is always seeking to get a foothold in his church. We pray, Father, you would help us to be on our watch this day. Lord, help us to preserve the peace and purity of your church. Help us to be thankful and grateful for all that you have brought to us uh, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives and through the blessing of the fellowship of the body of Christ. Lord, we pray you would help us to meditate upon these things today. And help us to, to walk in light of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so imagine, if you will, this morning, growing up in the hood in Chicago. Alright? So just for a moment, all of you, you grew up in Chicago. One of the worst possible neighborhoods. Constant muggings, drive-by shootings, Selling of drugs on every street corner and the like. You get the picture, right? To protect yourself, you join a gang. All right? You wear their colors. You show their signs. You participate regularly in their quote-unquote jobs. You may not like life in this manner, but it's all you got. You feel somewhat protected being a part of the group, at least from the other gangs who are also planning their own evil schemes in town. Of course, the leader of the gang is not a nice man at all. He doesn't care for you even a bit. He continues to use you and abuse you for his own profit, every now and then giving you a couple kickbacks here and there, but knowing that at any moment that he suspects your disloyalty, it's a bullet to your head without a second thought. It's the type of life. Now, imagine that the leader of your gang, along with all of your fellow members, were all killed in a moment in a hail of fire. And in that moment, you were freed from that community. You escaped by the skin of your teeth. Somehow you just weren't there. When everybody else was there, you made it out. Your long-lost aunt hears about your condition... And she invites you to move in with her and her family in Iowa. I don't know much about Iowa, but it sounds better than the Chicago in the hood. It'll take some getting used to. You know, it's, it's hard work growing up on a farm. All those early hours with the cows and such. It's a rough transition, but for the first time in your life, you feel truly safe. Loved. And Wanted. And your aunt and your uncle decide that they want to adopt you into their family. They begin to teach you life skills. They even help prepare you for college financially. They help you get on the right track. And and for the first time in your life, your future is bright. The air is clean. And there's great hope in your heart. It's a good story. Now, you could say both of those situations illustrate what it means to be in a community. A gang, no matter how awful it might be, is still a community. Still an association of people who share life together. The word communion itself literally means to eat bread with someone who's close to you. A friend, a neighbor, a family member, someone in your gang. Uh, the, The word communion is a derivative of the word community. Again, that's exactly what the word means, but... You even see in a gang, oftentimes they refer to one another as family, do they not? I mean, how many mafia shows have you seen? Family. You're my family. But what a sad family that would be. we well, in our short sermon series this, this week. We're going to continue on with this theme of all things new. And I wanted to talk this morning about the new community that believers are brought into through their common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about how as Christians we have come under the banner of a new king. We have been freed from the tyranny of the the devil, no longer under his dominion, but rather now are free to live within the kingdom of God. And What a blessing that is. In the same manner, I wanted to talk about being freed from this old community and being brought into a new community that's so much better than the one that we were a part of before. In fact, there's a, a, a stark antithesis between what we were a part of in the world and what we now are a part of in the kingdom of God and the church of Jesus Christ. Our English word church comes from a Greek word that signifies the house of the Lord. So, in other words, you have been taken out of your old house and been brought into a new house with a new father, a new Lord, a new master who Loves you. But the, the word that we often use in the Greek to signify the word for church is the word ecclesia. And that word signifies a, a gathering or assembling of peoples who have literally been called out of one group to participate in a new group, if you will. They are the chosen ones who have been called out of the world and into this new community. Again, this is an Old Testament concept, if you remember, in Genesis, uh, early on, um, with the Tower of Babel, you have all these people living in the region of Babylon, and they're all working together in unison to build a, a tower up into the heavens that they might make a name for themselves. And if you remember, after God thwarts their plans and confuses their languages, spreads them out across the face of the earth, the Lord chooses one man named Abram, whom we later know as Abraham. And he chooses this man to form a new community, a holy nation of people who are set apart from the rest of the world, and this is exactly the concept of what the church is today. It's the same concept. We are an institution, we are a community, a family that has been set apart from the world that we might enjoy the blessings of being in a right relationship with God. Not only to receive all the blessings of of what it means to be in that community, but also to serve as His representatives to those outside of this community to show something of a foretaste of heaven of what it's like to be with God. That's literally what the church is meant to be. So the way the apostles describe this drastic change of community is in terms of deliverance. We've been delivered out of the old community in order to be brought into this new community. Almost as if we've been delivered out of a very dangerous gang, right? With the devil himself being the gang leader. And now we are brought into something new. Second Peter, the apostle Peter describes this move as an escape from the corruptions and defilements of this world. It's an escape from this ongoing pattern of depravity. Just as the Lord had appointed a a particular day in which Sodom and Gomorrah was to be destroyed, in the same manner, there's a day appointed to judge this old community, the world, and to have it destroyed because of its rebellion against the Lord who has made them. God has delivered us from this old community. Think about it uh, from the Terms of Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read it yet, shame on you if you're a Christian. You've got to read it. You've got to read it every year. It's the best book out there, outside the Bible. Read it. In that book, the main character, Christian, identifies himself as a previous citizen of the city of destruction. I used to be a member of that town. I was a citizen of the city of destruction. But then he started on his journey to the celestial city and he became a member of a new community, a blessed community of those who are on the way to the celestial city, making their journey toward heaven. But it's not just the fact that the old community is under God's judgment that makes it so bad, but even the ongoing conditions of those who are still in that community, those conditions are dreadful, they're horrible. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, the Apostle Paul reminds us of our previous life in that community. He says, at one time, you were strangers to all of God's promises. Can you imagine for a minute forgetting every promise of God? It doesn't exist. You have no comfort from the promises of God. That's what it was like being a part of the world. In addition to being strangers to His promises, you had no hope and were without God in this world's community. Then Paul adds in Philippians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, that at one time, you were part of a crooked and perverse nation and generation of believers, unbelievers, and now you've been brought into this new community in which you shine like stars in the sky in comparison to the darkness that pervaded the old community. It was nothing like that. It's a stark antithesis between these two communities. Of course, for many... It's probably been a number of years since you were in that old community. Maybe you've forgotten how bad it really was. Some of you grew up in the church, didn't get the full effect, but yet still knew what it was like to struggle with sin and to be tempted toward those evil ways. But perhaps we've forgotten what it was like to dwell amongst the people who loved the darkness and hated the light. To be amongst the people who called good evil and evil good, who had no concept of the love for God, no concept of what it means to love their neighbor, willing citizens of the city of destruction and the town of Vanity Fair, where everything was empty, pointless, worthless. I've been uh, going back and brushing up on some Greek outside of the biblical Greek. And I came across uh, a word the other day for newspaper, ephemerita, from which we get the English word ephemeral, suggesting that a newspaper is something that's only of temporary value. It's something sometimes called the daily paper because it has no value tomorrow. It's worthless tomorrow because it only deals with passing issues of today. Nothing beyond that. In fact, a, a newspaper or newscaster does doesn't concern themselves with the greater questions of life, but only with the dreadful events that happen today. So if you turn on the news, you read the newspaper today, you're going to hear about all the bad things that are happening in the world today. And won't you feel so good about yourself? It's the news that only the worldly man reads. He can't bear to stand. Eternal news, good news, better news doesn't want to hear about a sin, doesn't want to face the judgment to come, only wants to deal with what is here and now. Can you imagine a a newscaster after a particular commentary, which a particularly bad event occurred, saying something like this, that's right, Kelly, we live in a fallen world, full of corruption. It's just a matter of time before the coming of the final judgment. I just want all of our viewers out there to to know that there is hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please, forsake this old community and turn to the, the, the kingdom of God. And then he gives a list of all the church's local community. Here's how you can connect it. Could you imagine a newscaster saying something like that? (laughs) I drove by uh, the Garden. I don't remember the name of the center. The Garden Center, downtown Fenton. uh, And uh, in front, on the lawn, they have in really big letters, four letters, L O V E, love. The world says that it loves love. All about love. All caps. The world thinks that love is a good thing, but they want nothing to do with the love of God. And they really have no idea what it actually means to love their neighbor. Merely defining love as accepting whatever anyone wants to say or do, so long as it doesn't hurt you. In their minds, that's love. You Imagine if the church out in front of our lawn the eight letters that spell judgment. <laughs> we probably get all kinds of visitors coming here. They want to hear about the judgment of God. Of course we'd want to put the words grace out there as well, but it's amazing we don't want to hear the words judgment or evaluation or something that might be wrong with us that might be unhealthy that we could maybe be cured, be saved, be helped. I was talking to Mark on the way home from uh, Presbyterian yesterday in the car. Jeff and Keith and I were all in a truck riding together. And and, uh, Mark was uh, sharing with me about how uh, anyone who has skin cancer has to be evaluated regularly, judged, if you will, sometimes have their clothes stripped so that someone can judge every aspect of their skin to say what is healthy and what's not. And how difficult that would be, almost humiliating, to have to take off your clothes and have someone say, well, that looks bad. But in order to get help, to get healing, you have to go through that aspect of judgment and evaluation. But again, the world doesn't want to hear that. You imagine being a part of a culture, a community, in which everyone says that they love you, but they're too afraid to tell you the truth. They're too afraid to tell you what you need to hear in order to be helped, to be healed, to be saved. And yet, it seems like it's a loving community. But yet that community stands under the judgment of God and the members who are a part of it. Revelation says they have the number 666 written across their forehead as being under the the gang leadership of Satan himself. We don't realize what a stark contrast there is between the community of this world and the community of God's church. As many of you know, you've lost friends in your old community because you tried to tell them the truth about the gospel of Christ. And they had no desire to hear it. John 15 verse 19. Jesus says, if you were of the world, it would still love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world into this new community. Therefore, the world, what? It hates you. Because it doesn't want you to judge it. It doesn't want you to evaluate it. Of course, the, the world never really loved you at all. It was just constantly trying to conform you to its own image. So that it would feel better about itself. doesn't want to help you. doesn't love you. doesn't care for you. Just wants to conform you into the same bitter fear that it has to think, oh, it's only about today. There's no, there's no concern about tomorrow. It touts itself as a loving community, but what a crock. There's no love in that community. None. It's only fools who continue to buy into that, parroting those empty philosophies, promoting that weak and worthless principles that amount to nothing. It does not lead to life. It only leads to death. You know what that was like. You were a part of it one time. You felt it. It's from that slum of depravity, that web of lies that the Lord has rescued us delivered us from that old worldly community along with all of its cares and anxieties about worthless things, about all of its sexual idolatry, all of its greed, all of its drunkenness, its restlessness, its depression. Man, that, that dreaded depression that envelops the world. That never-ending sense of covetousness and, and competition and comparison with all the other members to try to prove yourself that you're strong, that you're beautiful, that you're good, that you're worthwhile. The world constantly makes you compare. And no one ever wins. Always trying to seek an advantage over someone else. Not loving your neighbor, but hating your neighbor. But yet saying you still love them. It's not true. The Lord has rescued us from that hell hole. That's what it is. And brought us into His glorious church. Everybody got quiet. Glorious church. Glorious, you say? Maybe sanctimonious. Maybe toxic. Maybe divisive. Is that a better word that most people are used to when they talk about the church here on earth? Pastor, I can see you comparing the world to heaven, but comparing the world to the church... Does not the church have its own set of problems? Does not the church have its own sins? Its own struggles on a regular basis? I bet at least at least a third, if not a half or more of the people who are sitting in this room today can share with you either how the church has hurt them badly or has left them bitterly disappointed on more than one occasion. Sad that I have to get amens, but it's true. I've shared with some of you before, I've worked with four senior pastors, three of them who are no longer in the ministry, three of whom I had to confront myself because of sin, because of division, because of other things. I've gone through at least three church splits and a lot of other hurts and knocks along the way. And you're thinking, well, you're just a stupid guy. Why are you still doing this? I can tell you this I still can say with 100% certainty I would I would rather be nowhere else than in the glorious church of Christ Amen. you had to give me a chance to help explain that to you indeed sometimes the church that we read about in the bible is a far cry from what we actually experience in a local congregation i can admit that to you after all There's what might be considered the ideal church that you find in Acts 2. That passage we read just a few minutes ago. We're reading about uh, how all the people, all of them, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They're devoting themselves to the Word of God. Could you imagine churches that did that? They all devoted themselves to reading God's Word daily. Devoted themselves to praying daily, hourly. They devoted themselves to eating with one another, fellowshipping with one another, sharing their lives with one another, sharing many things with one another, and then the Lord is adding to their number daily because even the world can see what a loving congregation this is. Who wouldn't want to be a part of a church like that? (sighs) In fact, there's a whole network of churches in eastern Michigan that uh, sort of label themselves... After this concept, they're called 242 churches. You've seen them, right? Uh, Brighton, other areas, they're called 242. And with the intention that when you go there, that hopefully the philosophy, the vision of the church is leading to something like that. And I hope that they are. But I can tell you, without even knowing anything about that church or about the leadership of that church, that if you go there, you will be just as disappointed there as you will in any other church in Michigan or in any other church in the United States or any other church in the world. If you're looking for some ideal version, of course, 242 is based upon Acts chapter 2, verse 42, if you didn't get the connection there. Because the church consists only of sinners saved by grace, it's certain that you will find sinners saved by grace in every congregation. You do get this, right? So if you find sinners saved by grace in every congregation, Congregation, you should expect there to be some sin in every congregation. In addition to finding saints in every congregation. Even, even the confession faith of, of our denomination refers to the church when you're defining what is the church. It says the church is the, the gathering and perfecting of the saints. That sounds wonderful. But think of the implication though. If it's the gathering and perfecting the saints, it implies that they're not perfect yet. So there might be some problems that have to be perfected, that have to progress in their love for God and, and, and love for each other. You, you should expect that. And I, I love the fact that our confession of faith is very plain about that. We're not trying to hide this and say, well, you know, we don't really sin anymore. We, you know, we, we're done with that. No, we're very plain. It says exactly what it is. And if, and if each member of the church falls short of the glory of God it's, it's, it's guaranteed that each church will also somehow fall short of the mark. You will never find the ideal church here on planet earth prior to Christ's return. You will not find it. In fact, if you did, I would encourage every single person in this church to leave my congregation today and go there instead. Because I would leave you and I'd go there. <laughs> I'm like, who would want to be with a bunch of sinners? I could be with perfect saints. The angelic host. I mean, really, all of us should just leave immediately and go see this wonderful work of God, this miracle of heaven. I would leave in a heartbeat. I mean, not that I don't love you guys. I would, I would invite you to come. But I wouldn't stay here. Right? There's still issues that have to be worked out. I still haven't learned to love like I ought to. I still have doubts at times. I still say things I shouldn't, do things that I shouldn't, and don't do the things that I should. Romans 7, all over again. We still sense that. We feel that. We know what that's like. But again, our our confession of faith teaches that although some churches are more pure than others, given the fact that they're trying to teach the gospel plainly and You know, try to administer the sacraments clearly and even do church discipline when it's needed and try to protect the flock from evil influences. Even when you have churches that are purer than others, the confession says, even the purest churches under heaven are still subject to mixture and error. I love the fact that it says that. That gives me great comfort to know that that's true. That you're not going to find that here. And so, whatever ideal version you have of the church, you might as well get that out of your head now because it's just not reality. The Scripture backs that up. We see later on in that same book of Acts, after Acts, Acts chapter 2 is over with, Acts chapter 3, 4, 5, it leads on very quickly. Sin and error creep into that same body within a matter of days. We see in Acts chapter 6, we have some Greek widows and some Jewish widows, and one of them is being ignored, and now there's a fight in the church. Same church. Not so sweet as it was. Doesn't say anything about uh, people being added to their number anymore. We see the same thing. And just a couple chapters later, Ananias and Sapphira are lying about how much Of the property that they sold, and and they're slain by the Holy Spirit in the midst of the church service? Not so sweet anymore. In fact, if you go through, I challenge you, go read any epistle in the New Testament and find me a perfect church that they're writing to. Every single one of them. There's some major problem that's going on in the church at that time some heresy that they're dealing with, some person that needed to be disciplined that they didn't discipline, and it's a problem. You get to the end of the Bible, you get to Revelation, and the the second and third chapter of Revelation are are written to these churches from Jesus' lips himself, and he's saying to some of them, many of them, repent. You're not pure and holy like you ought to be. This is not the way I designed this. You're living in the wrong way. Repent. Go back to... What you did at first, go back to the love that you knew at first. If you don't, I will take the lampstand away from you. In other words, I will shut this church down, I will snuff out its light. And if you read in church history, you'll find that a number of those churches do not exist anymore because they did not repent, they did not change their ways, they did not seek Christ. So, where does that leave us? I just talked about the glorious church. How do we get off on this stuff? What good is it for us to have escaped the corruption of the world only then to witness the same type of corruption within the church? Really, what's so great about the church after all? How is this new community any better than what we find in the world? Well, for starters, this new community is God's idea, not man's. That makes a big difference. It really does. The primary vehicle through which God intends to save the world is His church. To the point where he even says, he promises Matthew 16, the gates of hell themselves will not stand against his church. There's some glory that's involved in this church that you're not going to find in any other institution on the planet. Also, it's the primary institution through which God seeks to reveal himself to man. Through the image of God, that is born through the people of His church. He's gathering a people together, not just for their perfecting, but also for their displaying. He intends to display some aspect of His glory through the church. It's also the place where you will find sort of the depository of the very words of God. That's the way it's described in 1 Timothy. The very word of God you will hear from His church in a way that you will never hear it anywhere else in the world. It's the one place where you will find heavenly wisdom. The one place that you will find heavenly comfort and encouragement, not just from the pulpit, but from the people. One place you'll find heavenly peace. After all, it's filled with those whose citizenship is already in heaven. So you should expect some foretaste of heaven. Probably the greatest word in Scripture concerning God's promises toward the church can be found in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 21. I remember the first time I read this passage, it really paid attention to what it was saying. I was blown away. Paul says this in, in his benediction concerning the church. He says, to God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So in other words, not is. Is not only just the glory of Christ that's going to be proclaimed in every generation, but the glory of His church in every generation. Now, now, don't get me wrong. As I said before, there will be churches that have had their light snuffed out because they have not repented of their sins. There are those that are really synagogues of Satan rather than real true churches because they don't preach the gospel. They preach anything but. Don't get me wrong. They don't automatically assume it's a church just because it has the word C-H-U-R-C-H in it. But if it's a true church, teaching the true gospel, seeking to live according to God's plan, you should find a decent group of people there, much better than anyone's that you would find out in the world. The problem is, I think we've forgotten what it was like. I mean, think about it. Go back to your friends that you knew prior to being a Christian, prior to being a church member. Did they love you? Did they care for you? Did they encourage you? There will definitely be times where the members here will disappoint you. They'll maybe say some things that rub you the wrong way. But do you not see Christians here? Do you not see those who who love Jesus here? Who want to grow in their faith here? Who are on the road to heaven? Do you not see that here? If you don't, go somewhere else. (laughs) I mean, really, if, if, if we look like we're a bunch of whitewashed tombs, I urge you, go somewhere else. Find some that you think that really can encourage you. I would hate for anybody to be a part of a church that they aren't ever encouraged by any member. What a dreadful place that would be. I, I think most people here are probably familiar with the Apostles' Creed. You know, the, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I you know, believe in His only Son, our Lord, Jesus, Right? You get to the rest of the confession, you briefly refer to your, your faith in the Holy Spirit, but then it also gets into, and I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. Now, any Baptist here is like, what? I don't believe in the Roman Catholic Church. That's stupid. Every time my parents would come to our Presbyterian church, she's like, I'm not saying that. <laughs> and I always would have to remind us, that, okay, it doesn't mean Roman Catholic Church. There's not a big C for the institution of the Roman Catholic Church. It's a little C that refers to the church all over the world, what we refer to as the universal church. In fact, the word Catholic means universal. Uh, We're not talking about a particular denomination or a particular institution, but rather we're referring to the church all over the world. And I love the fact that the church is universal. What we mean by that is we don't believe that we're the only true church. We're not the only true church in Fenton. We're not the only true church in Michigan. We're not the only true church in the United States. We're certainly not the only true church in the world. And I I, I have no greater blessing that I've ever received than to see the church around the world and to see their faith, to see their love, and to see their commitment to Christ and to one another. The fact that the church is a universal body proves that God's plan is, in fact, working. Don't forget that. There are Christians in Ukraine right now. There are Christians in Russia right now. There are Christians in every nation around the world who love the Lord Jesus because the gospel is working. And it's been bearing fruit since day one. And it will continue to do that. If you think that the church is dark, think about that. Christ has continued to bear witness through the church all over the world. And not just filling with the same type of people. The church is not an American institution. It's not an Anglo-Saxon institution. People of every tribe and tongue love the Lord Jesus. From every cultural background, every socioeconomic status in, in society, you have rich man, poor man sitting right next to each other. Same pews. People that have the opposite views on just about everything under the sun. And I mean everything. They both love the Lord Jesus and Christ is breaking down the walls of hostility between these people, that they might form a new humanity, a new community based upon the gospel of Christ. It's not only a universal church, it's also a holy church. Even though I've already said the church is full of sinners saved by grace, it's also filled with what we are now called to be as saints. Every person who has trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ is now called the Holy One of God. First and foremost, because of their union with Christ. Again, we've talked about this in the Gospel. For those of you who haven't heard it before, it's a lovely exchange. Basically, God takes a horrible sinner like me who cannot save himself and gives me the righteousness of Christ. All I have to do is ask for it. Ask the Lord to forgive me my sins. He will give me the righteousness of Christ. I will give him my sin. He takes it, puts it to death. Gives me new life, new hope in the gospel. And because of that, when God looks at me, he sees Christ. He sees holiness. He sees righteousness. He sees perfection. And therefore, whatever you guys see, Christ sees me a whole lot better. But then in addition to that, we're not just called holy, but we're called to be holy. So in other words, now we're called to work it out, to live up to the title that God has given to us so that we don't stay these horrible, miserable people that we were when we first came in. God doesn't want us to stay this way. He has great hopes and great power at work within us to cause us to change. I remember one of the very first Christ, Christmas, not Christmas, Christian tapes that I ever bought, uh, for those of you who are younger. In the generation, a tape was something that came out before a CD. <laughs> oh, forgive me. For those who don't know what a CD is, a CD came out before an MP3 player. For those of you who don't know what an MP3 player is, it came out before live streaming. Okay. Um, after the 8-track tape, after the wreck, You know what I'm saying. First Christian tape I ever bought. It's freshman in college. Stephen Curtis Chapman. I think it was called For the Sake of the Call was the title of the the record, the tape that I bought. And uh, one of my favorite songs on that was No Better Place. Um, I remember that year I had moved three times into three different dorm rooms because my first roommate was a drunkard and the room just reeked of alcohol all the time and weird people hanging out in it. My second roommate was a pornographer and that was even worse. Couldn't deal with all the stuff he was looking at all the time. And my third roommate was just a mean son of a gun. But I stuck with him because he was better than the drunkard and the pornographer. But I can tell you that whole year, I was eager, desperately eager, to get out of my dorm room and go find some community somewhere. And I remember it was not the greatest Christian community that could be found on planet Earth, but nevertheless, it was so much sweeter than anything I had experienced anywhere else on that college campus. And I started going to church with them. And I remember going to uh, a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert with them. I didn't even know who this guy was at the time. But then I remember the, the words of that song came out. And I remember singing it out loud with my fellow Christians. And admitting that although this new road that I had found was hard and straight and narrow and painful... Because it requires so much faith, so much repentance, so much humility. When I had considered all other paths that I had been on, I could say, along with everyone else in the room, there's no better place on earth than the road that leads to heaven. There's no other place I'd rather be. That's the chorus again and again. There's no better place on earth than the road that leads to heaven. And there's no better place on earth to be than in Christ's church. No other place I'd rather be. If you want to find others who have a like-minded desire to know the ways of Christ, to walk in His ways, you have to go to church. You have to spend time with God's people who love Jesus. Now, that's not to say, again, that you won't find hypocrites. Certainly you will. You'll find them in every church, even if you read Pilgrim's Progress, which you should. You will find that Christian runs into many, many people along the way that are dreadfully on the wrong path going in a different direction than he is, and he's, he's greatly unnerved by them. But nevertheless, he finds some good Christian fellowship along the way. Think about it. Where else will you find a people who are learning to love God, learning to love each other, learning to love their neighbors as themselves? Uh, you certainly won't find that in the world. It's, it's, it's so weighed down by its own filthiness and depravity and its own fears you will never find any th- comfort for your soul in the communities of this world. We sang earlier from John Newton's hymn, uh, based on Psalm 87, Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion's city of our God. Now, originally Psalm 87 is referring to Jerusalem, but as you know, if you continue to read through the New Testament, we're basically saying, Jesus says, you're no longer going to worship on that mountain. You're not going to worship on the mountain Jerusalem, you're not going to worship on the mountain of Samaria, but you're going to worship wherever The Spirit of God is at work within you amongst God's people. Where two or three are gathered together in His name, there He is in their midst. And there's a church. And so we refer to the church as the Zion city of our God. And in that hymn, we recall how the church is where God meets with man. It's where God's people drink from the streams of living water, where they feed upon the heavenly manna, where they find solid joys of lasting treasure that none but Zion's children know. You will not find those joys in this world. Later we sang, as Mark had mentioned from Isaac Watts' hymn, how sweet and awesome is this place. Literally, that's what he's saying. The place that you're in right now is sweet and awesome. Originally, it was called sweet and awful, which probably most of you would agree with more. But literally, the word awful means full of awe. Kind of like the old version better. Awesome means there's only some awe here. But literally, sweet and Awful. But in the good way, in that sense. How sweet and awesome is the place where Christ is within the doors of that building. While everlasting love displays the choices of our stores. Where else are you going to find that kind of love? With great wonder and awe, we're contemplating how we were made to hear God's voice while there are still thousands outside who would rather starve than to eat from the bread of life. What a privilege it is to be a part of the the church of God. Finally, after this sermon, we're going to sing one more hymn. This one by Timothy Dwight. says, I love thy kingdom, Lord. I love the house of thine abode, the church that our Redeemer blessed with His own precious blood. I love thy church, O God, the very apple of your eye, the one graven on your hands. And then it says, for her, my tears shall fall. For her... My prayers ascend. To her, my cares and toils will be given till toils and cares shall end. Beyond my highest joy, I prize her heavenly ways. I prize her sweet communion. I prize her hymns of love and praise. Then finally, we, we will sing, saying this to the Lord, Sure, as your truth shall last, to Zion shall be given, the brightest glories earth can yield are found right here. In Christ's church. Right here. You might think, well, those hymn writers must have had a really good church. <laughs> no, they had, they had their own struggles just like we do. But when they contemplated all that the Lord had said about His church in the Word, if you just go back and you just do a word study on the word church, particularly in the New Testament, you'll be astounded at what God says about His church. He absolutely loves it. He is enamored by it. He has laid down his life for her and has continued to love her and preserve her and protect her from generation to generation. There's nothing that's going to change his mind about the church, regardless of what you think. Go back and look at what Christ says about his own church. But then, in addition, go back and contemplate what the life is like outside of the church of Christ. And you will see it's not as good as you thought it was. Even with all the miseries that you can still experience as a Christian, with all the disappointment you can still experience in His church, it is still a thousand times better than anything that you'll ever find in this world. And you will finally have the peace and assurance of of God through the gospel of Christ. The question is, do you love the church in this way? The question is, can you honestly say, according to the Apostles' Creed, I believe in this church. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Catholic church to the point where I can rest that this is the place I ought to be. John says you can't love your brother whom you have seen. It's impossible. You can't love God whom you have not seen. Vice versa, you can't love God whom you have not seen if you can't love your brother whom you have seen. Well, in the same way, There's such a close connection between Christ and His church. You cannot love God if you don't love His church. Go back and read what John says about that. You'd be surprised. Again, when I say that, I don't mean the synagogues of Satan. (laughs) I don't mean those churches that have dreadfully gone astray. But I'm talking about those other churches like ours that at times will disappoint you. But at many times, you'll just see there's a spirit that's here, the Holy Spirit, that's indwelling God's people. There's no other better place. Ephesians 5.27, I'll close with this. uh, You see this picture in which Christ is presenting the church to himself when he comes back. And it's uh, the reflection of every marriage ceremony you've ever seen. Right? So the, the bride comes down, And now she's just beautiful and glorious and being brought to her her husband. He says in this case, Ephesians 5.27, Christ at that point will present the church to Himself in splendor. Without any spot, any wrinkle, and He says, or any such thing. You're looking for that bride now. She doesn't dwell here now. She has a lot to work out. But there's going to come a time when Christ comes back and you're going to see the church that you've always wanted. But it only happened when Christ is here in our midst, dwelling physically right here in the midst of us. In the meantime, we continue to pray for Christ's church. We continue to love her, serve her, and prepare ourselves for that time when Christ returns to take home his bride. We are not yet what we will be. Christ has not yet appeared. But when Christ appears, those who are members of Christ's church will be perfected. And finally we will see Him as He is. And finally we will see each other as we ought to be. In the meantime, there's no better place on earth than the road that leads to heaven. And if you're in Christchurch, you're on that road. Find some believers that, that want to walk that same road with you. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would help us. We have uh, been through many knocks along the way. Most of us who have first understood the gospel have tried many different things. We've gone through many different institutions, met many different people along the way. Just like Christian and Pilgrim's Progress, we've been disappointed numerous times. Lord, we pray that you would help us to look to your word first for the wisdom that is from heaven. Help us to see what is your design, what is your plan for the church, and then we also pray, Lord, you would help us to find our place within the church. Father, would we know that your word always teaches us that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Lord, we know that we're always coming to church expecting to receive, but very few, I think, come expecting to give. I pray, Father, that as we are walking in the Spirit and received some encouragement and comfort from the Holy Spirit, that we would come ready and prepared to share that encouragement and that comfort with others in this, this body. I pray, Father, you would help your love that we meditate upon regularly to cover over a multitude of sins and blemishes and wrinkles and stains that we see. Lord, help us not to focus on the blemishes. Help us to revel in the splendor. And help us to long for the day in which there are no more wrinkles. We ask all these things.